If you would, open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 is where we're going to be in our lesson this morning. We've been looking at different uh, call stories where people are called upon by God to do some task or to accomplish some mission. And, you know, we've seen some pretty incredible things. Last week we looked at Moses. And Moses is, I mean, Moses is a living legend during his life. Uh, He's someone who was, you know, he's the one... who would go to the tent of meeting and and meet with God so that his face would shine and glow when he would come back to see the people. He was the one, the people were too afraid to hear the voice of God, but Moses could hear it, so they'd send Moses off to go do it. God uh, spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses led Israel out of the hand of the evil oppressors of Egypt and, and gave freedom to the people. Moses was the one through whom God split the Red Sea and caused bread to rain down from heavens and, and caused military victories there in the uh, in the wilderness when they came upon uh, enemies like Amalek. Like, Moses is someone, if you're looking for someone who is wise and can record um, divine wisdom, you look to Moses. Moses is one who's a judicious lawgiver, and if you're looking for someone to write brilliant laws that can lead the people, you look to Moses. If you're looking for someone who can protect you in the wilderness, you look to Moses. If you're looking for someone who can uh, free you from your enemies, you look to Moses. If you look for someone who God loves and respects and adores and looks down to, you look to Moses. Moses is the one who God appeared to in the burning bush. Moses is the one who was raised uh, in in the pomp and circumstance of Pharaoh's household, but then rejected all of that, to be with God's people. It's like Moses is someone who, while it's true, not everyone during his life did look up to him. Moses is someone like, when you think of the most important names in the Bible, you think of Moses. How many people can you name who lived that long ago? (laughs) You know, not very many people. But even non-Christians, a lot of people know Moses. Like Moses is such a famous person. He's such a big name. And when you get to the beginning of the book of Joshua, that leader who has been with the children of Israel for so long, he's not leading them anymore. In Joshua chapter 1, read the first uh, two verses. It says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. What a beautiful description, by the way, of a life well lived. Uh, Moses has now died. But he is remembered uh, fondly as the servant of the Lord. In fact, God is going to call him that here in just a minute. But the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to you, uh, to the sons of Israel. So, Joshua's call story comes right after the death of Moses. Um, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He led them up to the point of the promised land. And Joshua is now being called upon to pick up the reins and to, uh, to carry on. Um, those are mighty big shoes to fill. When you think of who Moses is, and you're told you need to be the next one, uh, that's a really tough task. That's a really daunting uh, job for God to give someone. And you could imagine that uh, as God is calling upon Joshua to do this, there is an overwhelming feeling of uh, inadequacy. You know, when thinking of, I mean, that's, that's Moses. Uh, and I'm supposed to, to, 
to follow after him. I'm supposed to carry his mantle. Um, that's not going to be something that's easy to do. And so what God is going to do time and time again throughout this call story, throughout this narrative, is he's going to try to build Joshua up and give him trust. Not in the greatness of Joshua, but he's going to give Joshua trust in the greatness of God. Because if you remember, even as great as Moses was, last week we looked at how often he objected to God's call, and he would say things like, who am I that I could go and do this? Or, I'm not of eloquent speech. And what God would respond by saying is, I will be with you. Don't put your trust and your confidence in yourself or your own abilities or your own greatness. You're probably not that great on your own. But if you will do as I tell you, I will be with you. And as the transition happens from Moses to Joshua, what you'll see is that same promise that God made to Moses, he's going to make to Joshua as well. So that Joshua, even if he doesn't have the name Moses has, Joshua can be someone who is overwhelmingly successful. As a matter of fact, as we'll see, Joshua is quite successful, and he's able to do things even that Moses was unable to do. And so a lot of what you'll be seeing in uh, the, the book of Joshua, if you read through the book, we're just going to be looking at the, the call story right now, but if you read through it, you'll see that God is constantly trying to demonstrate that he is with Joshua just as he was with Moses. Uh, he'll, he'll mention that again here in the call story here in just a minute. But even later on, uh, if you remember how the children of Israel were able to get out of Egypt, there was this big thing blocking them, right? It was called the Red Sea. And the children of Israel had to somehow get across it, and God caused a wind to blow, and it split the sea, and they were able to cross on dry land. And then as the Egyptian armies came across, it flooded over them, and, and they were given freedom and deliverance. Well, as they get to the promised land, there's another obstacle barrier, uh, uh, that's blocking them. It's the Jordan River. And what God is going to do is he's going to give another illustration so that Joshua and all the people know that just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you also. And so he, again, he caused miraculously the Jordan River to stop flowing so that the rivers would run out and the dry land would appear so that they could all cross in the same type of manner as they crossed out of Egypt, they can now cross into the promised land. In the same manner that they left, that they left with Moses, they can now leave with Joshua and enter with Joshua into the promised land. And so God is going to be trying to demonstrate that Joshua is going to be successful in what he does, and God is going to be with him through it all. But Joshua is someone who already, before you get to the book of Joshua, you've had a couple of run-ins with him uh, and his interactions with Moses. If you've read through the first five books of, of the Torah, you know, Moses is mentioned over and over and over again on like every page. But Joshua, interestingly, does pop up a couple of times. He had a, an important job uh, during the time that, that they were leaving uh, Egypt. Joshua was uh, the head of a household. Joshua was someone who was a representative of a tribe. Joshua was someone who was the leader in the military. Uh, so they didn't seem to have probably the most spectacular, advanced, or well-trained military in the world. After all, they were slaves, and then they were living in a wilderness. But there were times where they were attacked. There were times that they were called upon to fight. And the one who led the military, the one who led the people into battle, was Joshua. And it wasn't necessarily because of Joshua's greatness that they were able to uh, be victorious. In fact, one of the stories you run into in Exodus, uh, I think it's 18, is um, you have uh, a battle with Amalek, and um, the children of Israel have to go to this fight, and they're told as long as Moses can hold his arm up, 
they'll be successful in battle but, uh, with his staff in his hand. But if his arm starts to get tired and it starts to go down, then they'll start to lose. And, uh, you know, that's tiring to do for a long period of time to hold your arm. So they end up having to, to help him put his arm up there and give him something to, to rest his arm on. But do you know who's doing the fighting while Moses is holding the arm? It's Joshua. Joshua is the one who's leading the people into the battle. So he's, like, we, we focus on the Moses part of that story, but Joshua is very much involved in it. Joshua is also involved, um, do you remember when they built the golden calf, with, when Aaron did? And all the children of Israel, they, they gathered together and to worship, and they worshiped this new golden calf as their new god, even though they had just promised that they would not make any other gods and that they would uh, make no images of gods. Well, all of that's happening. Do you know who's not involved in that? Well, Moses, he's up on the mountain. But you know who else wasn't involved in that? Joshua. Joshua was out, uh, like, kind of in between. And uh, when Moses is coming down from the mountain, they hear all that going on. And Joshua, remember, he's the guy who, who does the fighting. He hears all the sound, and he thinks, wait, is there a battle going on over there? I think I hear the sound of war. Like, no, that's not the sound of war. That sounds a bit more like singing and dancing. Uh, and then they go out there and they see the idolatry taking place. But, but Joshua was one of the few who didn't engage in that. He's also one of the few who later on in the book of Numbers, when the children of Israel are going to spy out the promised land, they send representatives of each tribe to go out there and to spy out the land and to see whether it is uh, fruitful and to see how good it, what God promised them was. Um, they were supposed to go check out the land and check out the, the, the fortified cities and all that stuff. They were not on this mission in order to determine whether or not they should go try to take the land. God had already told them to do that. Uh, I think they forgot what their mission was because they come back and they say, look, the land is great, but we shouldn't go try to take it because, I mean, the, the people are massive and they are strong and they have fortified cities and we're like grasshoppers in their sight and, and it'd be a terrifying, they would wipe us out and annihilate us. All right, that's the view that... that the leaders of Israel had. But there are two of those spies, we call them, who went out there to search out the land, who come back and they say, no, 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 no. Yeah, the land is great. Sure, the people are big and strong, but we can take them because we have the Lord on our side. And those two people are a guy named Caleb and Joshua. So Joshua has, from like our earliest recognition of him in the story of Moses, he's popped up a couple of times. And every time we've seen, he's someone who seems to be pretty brave. He's someone who seems to put his trust in God. He's someone who seems to be ready to uh, do whatever God has called him to do. He seems to be someone whose worship is solely committed to God. And so he is someone who it makes sense would be the replacement of Moses. But even in that, there's, again, some pretty big shoes to fill. And so God is calling Joshua to this task. And God is promising Joshua success in this task. If you read the next couple of verses, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, He's told, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea uh, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. So he's telling him, I'm going to give you this land. The land, if you remember our call story from a couple of weeks ago to Abraham, Abraham was promised that he was going to receive this land. And from about that time to this time, there's been roughly 400 years or so that have passed. And now they're finally going to take it. But God is telling Joshua, you are going to be successful in this. One idea that God is going to have to uh, 
remind Joshua of repeatedly, though, is to be strong and to be courageous. We'll see that here in just a second. He's going to actually say that like three different times. You're going to have to be strong and courageous to do this. Because even though Joshua has demonstrated that he's a military leader, even though Joshua has demonstrated trust in God, it's not going to be easy to take a bunch of people who were slaves in Egypt— who have spent the last 40 years watching their parents die in the wilderness, and they have grown up like they were slaves when they were kids, and now they've spent their whole lives just wandering in a desert. Uh, They don't have any fortified cities. They don't have great weaponry. They're not a trained military. And they're being told, I want you to go into this land. And remember, this is the same land that the earlier leaders of Israel, when they saw it, they said, oh, they're going to crush us. Uh, they're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. They have fortified cities. I mean, they have big walls around their cities. Like, these are people who are prepared for battle already, and we're a bunch of slaves and wanderers who are coming out of a desert. Um, this isn't, like, this isn't your greatest strategy to go into this uh, place and, and win. You're, if you were just weighing, uh, you know, who you think is going to, who looks better here, you would probably trust the people with the fortified cities and the standing militaries rather than the slaves and the wanderers. Uh, and so Joshua, if he's going to do this, he's going to have to recognize victory won't come because I'm a brilliant military strategist. And victory won't come because we're so powerful and we have such great uh, weapons and all of that. Victory will come for one reason. It'll come because God will give us the victory. And as you read through Joshua, that point becomes very, very clear. It's like we already talked about uh, later in Joshua, God will stop the Jordan River so that they can cross on dry land. There's also going to be a city that they meet pretty quickly after crossing on that dry land. It's the city of Jericho. And you know what Jericho has? Massive, huge, fortified walls all around the city. Walls that you can't just, you know, knock on the door and then let you in, or you can't just hop right over. Uh, It's basically you have an impossible barrier there protecting the city. And you know how God renders that barrier uh, insufficient? You know how he gets rid of it? He has them march around it once a day for, for six days, uh, uh, blowing trumpets. And then on the seventh day, they, or no, they do it silently. And then the seventh day, they go and they blow trumpets. They march around seven times. They blow trumpets and they shout. And all of a sudden, like the wall comes crumbling down. Now, if you were to uh, try to devise a strategy for making a massive fortified wall fall down before battle and going into a city, um, would that be it? (laughs) Probably not, right? Uh, You'd probably, like, we need to come up with some sort of battering ram or something, you know, you get something to knock the wall down. You wouldn't think that uh, screaming and shouting at it and blowing some trumpets would do the trick. But that's what God calls them to do. And again, there's reasons for that. Um, I don't think the reasons are just because loud noises can cause vibrations and make walls fall down. Um, I think the reasoning is for them to understand that the victories that we're going to have here as we go throughout this land, they are not going to be victories that we have because of our own might. They're going to be victories because God is with us. And if you're going to go into victory knowing that on your own you'll lose, but with God you'll win, you have to have a lot of trust in God. You have to have a lot of confidence and bravery that God is going to be with you. And so when you read throughout the battles, you see that type of thing occur. you'll, You'll find out that God will stop the sun in the sky to prolong the battle for the day so that they can continue to be successful. God will rain down stones from heaven to help conquer their enemies. Like, God is going to be the one who gives them the battles throughout the book of Joshua. It's not going to be what they do based on their own might and skill. As a matter of fact, there's one interesting point. 
uh, after they conquered Jericho, the mighty fortified city, they go to this like outpost small place called Ai, and uh, they're going to go out there and battle them, and they actually don't consult the Lord. I mean, this is one of the battles that on their own they probably could do, because uh, they do have a lot of people. And so they're going to go out there, and they're going to whip Ai really quickly, and they go out to battle, and immediately they start dropping like flies. And they realize, hey, we're all dying. We need to get out of here really, really fast. And so pretty early on, I think 36 had died, they turn around, and they flee from Ai, and they think, what in the world? Why is it that God will let us conquer massive Jericho, but then we go to Ai and they whip us and we're dying? Does God not care about us? What's the deal here? And God says to Joshua, hey, stand up. You guys have rejected me. There's sin in the camp. You need to take care of the sin problem and then go see what happens with Ai. It turns out that someone had a guy named Achan. When they went to Jericho, he had stolen some of the goods from Jericho and hidden them in his tent. And, and so he had disobeyed the Lord in what they were supposed to do. There was a ban put on the city where you weren't supposed to steal the goods for yourself. And so he had done it anyway. He had gotten greedy. And so they lost the next battle. And then God, after they take care of that sin and they purge it from the camp, he tells them to go back into Ai. And they actually have this strategy where they go up and they start fighting and then they retreat and then the people go and burn the city and then they encounter them from the other side and they flank them and basically they're, they're victorious again. They're overwhelmingly victorious. And what changed? Did Israel all of a sudden get really good at battle? No. One time they had the Lord with them, and one time they tried to do it on their own. So throughout the book of Joshua, the constant idea will be, you will be successful. God will give you success insofar as you proceed with him. If you try to do it on your own, you will be, you're going to lose. Uh, you will not be successful. And so these are some of the ideas that God is going to be preparing Joshua for. Once you get to chapter five, or verse 5 of chapter 1, Verses 5 through 9 have a really interesting structure to them. Um, there is, um, in, in, when you study like ancient texts and literature, and uh, one, of the, one of the things that people will note, and it's not just in the Bible, this isn't a lot of literature, is there are some passages you come across and some stories you come across that have uh, what's called like a chiastic structure to it. Um, and there are a number of different ways that, that a chiasm can, um, can be represented in a text. But right here you're going to see a small example of one. Uh, you'll see the first and the last verse of it are going to have the same phrase. They're going to begin and end the same way. And then the next verse will have a phrase that the second to last verse is going to have. And then right in the middle of it, there's going to be a key idea. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like you're building towards the central idea that everything else hinges on. And that's the structure that uh, you see when you get to verses 5 through 9 right here. This is kind of the, the meat of the call story, where Joshua has been told, you're replacing Moses. You're going to be successful. But here is how it's going to happen. And we've already tried to kind of prepare us for what this, this section is going to say by looking at some of the things that God has already uh, suggested in some of the ways that the battles go in Joshua. But notice verse 5. He says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. All right, so that's the, the opening part, the idea of God saying, I will be with you. That's the same promise that God made to Moses when Moses had to go see Pharaoh, and God is now making it to Joshua. In fact, he says, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. 
So don't, don't let the fear of being inadequate or not being up to Moses' standard uh, compel you to withdraw from this call. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. You will be just as successful as Moses was. But then notice the final phrase of verse 9, the final sentence there. It says, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the, that's the sandwich. You know, that's, that's the, the book ends on this passage. From beginning to end, know that the Lord will be with you. If you're going to be successful, it's not because you can knock down walls on your own. It's not because you can brilliantly strategize how to take out AI. It's not because you can stop the sun in the sky or rain down boulders from heaven. It's because God will be with you. That is how the success will happen. And so you have to trust that God is going to be with you. And if you do that, then you can do the next part of it, which is to be strong and courageous. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to get them. Only be strong and very courageous. It's like he wants them to not only trust in the Lord, but act upon that in strength and in courage. And again, we've already said there's every reason in the world to not be courageous. They cannot win these battles on their own just like they couldn't get out of Egypt on their own. Like when they were in Egypt, they couldn't just decide, hey, we're going to overthrow Pharaoh real quick and get out of here. There are some massive things that God did on their behalf that allowed them to be free. And God overwhelmingly taking control of the story to free his people and to bless his people is exactly what is going to happen here. But they have to have courage that God is going to do that. Again, the courage is not in themselves. It is in their trust in God. When you get to verse 9, again, this is, this is uh, the, the, that phrase being repeated again right before the end. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. He goes back to that idea. Basically, from beginning to end, God is going to be with you. And if that's true, then you can be strong and courageous. If you're strong and courageous, you'll have success in what you do. But how do you know that God is going to be with you? How do you trust that God is going to be with you? Well, one of the things that they're going to be called upon to do, and this is actually the central idea of this call story, is you remember when they fought the battle against AI and they lost? It's because God wasn't with them. Why? Because they had rejected God in their actions. The central idea right here is going to be a call to keep the word of God on their hearts and in their minds day after day as they go through this. Make sure that God is with you and live with God through this process. So in verses uh, 7 and 8, he's going to tell them how to have trust in this process. He says in verse 7, Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Notice that it's dependent upon so that you may have success wherever you go. It's dependent upon keeping the law on your hearts and on your lips. In verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So if you want success, Stick to the law of Moses that God has just given you. If you do that, you can be strong and courageous because you know that God is going to be with you. And that's, that's the logic of the call to Joshua. And what's fascinating, I've mentioned that battle at Ai several times because it's, it really is, I think, a helpful picture of the whole process because they, they're sent in the camp and they go to battle without God and they lose. 
They take care of the sin. They go to the battle. They're overwhelmingly successful. And then do you know what Joshua does? Right then, after their success, he gathers all of the people, and this is in Joshua chapter 8, in verse 34. After they win the battle, it says, then afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. You know what losing that battle reminded Joshua to do? Reminded him of that call that God gave him all the way back in chapter 1 that said, you know what, I need to be taking the word of God very, very seriously right now. I think there's a lot that we can learn about uh, stepping out on, on behalf of uh, the mission of God in order to serve the church or to serve the community, do things in the name of Christ. And I think you see some of them right here. Number one, is trust that the Lord is with you in what you're doing. The Lord, you know, Jesus, at the end of the Great Commission, he promises the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. If the Lord is with you, step out with confidence and trust. And if you do that, you can step out with boldness and courage. You can be courageous that God is going to be with me no matter what. And you might suffer persecution or you might have some hardships or things might not go according to plan. As a matter of fact, I think pretty much every story in the Bible, things don't go according to human plans. Uh, That's also generally the, the case in our lives. Things don't always go according to plan. But if God is with you, you can be courageous. Even as the unseen obstacles arise, you can face them with courage and trust and confidence, knowing that God approves of you, knowing that God is with you. And one way to help you through that, one of the best ways to grow in your walk with God is to let the Word of God become a daily part of your life. Read Scripture. It really does matter, and it really is beneficial. Uh, It's not just old words written down a long time ago that, you know, the legalist people say you need to stick with. They are transformative and life-changing. They they are life-giving words. If you truly believe that the Bible is the Word of God, make it a part of your life. Uh, I remember um, Bart Ehrman is a, uh, he's a, an agnostic um, Bible professor, uh, which is kind of interesting, but uh, he, he teaches at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, he's, he's, you know, interesting and, and has, you know, good, not good ideas, but some good ideas, interesting to read is, is the point, but uh, he, he had a point one time, uh, he start, stood up in his class, this was a couple of years ago, And uh, he asked his students, how many of you in here believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And people taking a Bible class in North Carolina, for the most part, are Bible-thinking people. And so they're Christians, and a lot of them raised their hand. He said, okay, interesting. Um, How many in here, the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling, how many in here have read the entire series? He said probably like half the hands went up, like a ton of people have read that. He's like, all right. He picked up the Bible. He says, how many of you in here who believe that this is the Word of God have actually sat here and read the entire thing? And like a couple of hands popped up out of the massive classroom. And it's an interesting idea that people might walk around and say the answer to the question, is this the Word of God, is yes. But then if you would like, all right, would you rather read J.K. Rowling or the very words and ideas and thoughts of God who created the universe and who created you would be like, Oh, J.K. Rowling's kind of interesting. Harry Potter. Like, if, if we truly believe that the Bible is the Word of God, it would make sense 
that if you have access to the divine and it's there in your house and it's there on your phone and it's there in your hands, you should try to pick it up and read it sometime. You should see what God has to say. It's, it, it, it seems rather obvious, but we can get so caught up in our daily lives that the Bible, even if we believe it's the very word of God and the mind of God revealed to us, we can just ignore it and treat it like it's any other book or treat it like it's less than other books and go and do other things. And I think that could, that could be dangerous. Uh, that could make us unfit for the battle ahead. Um, I think Joshua is being told how to prepare for the battle ahead. Uh, and one of the best ways to do that is to spend time actually in the Word of God, meditating on it day and night. Well, the story of Joshua continues after this point. We've talked about some of the, the things they do well, some of the things they don't do well. They, uh, there's one point where they're deceived by the Gibeonites, uh, and uh, they, they fall for a trap that they probably should have talked to God about, but they didn't, so they end up making a deal with them, which they shouldn't have made. But overall, they're pretty successful. As a matter of fact, it says all the promises that God made to Abraham were fulfilled. And so, so overall, it's a, it's a success story. The book ends after some... <laughs> some difficult-to-read chapters in the middle about how to allot all the portions of the land. You get to a couple of, of admonitions to the people at the end to stay faithful, to trust in God, to serve the Lord, uh, you know, you and your household and your children and all of that. But then you get to the end of the book of Joshua. And uh, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 29, actually back up to verse 26 re really quickly, and we'll bring the lesson to a close. After encouraging the people to, to serve the Lord, and after that famous statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which I bet some of us see in our houses daily, um, Joshua then, in verse 26, he wrote these words in the book of the law and placed a large stone and set it up under the oak. So you remember how Moses was the one who wrote the law? Now we see Joshua, the one who God is with just as he was with Moses, the one who took over after Moses, the one who uh, is encouraged to, to believe that God is with him in the same way that he is with Moses, is now able to add to the book of the law of Moses. And he's able to write this down as well. And then you get down to verse 29. And it says, And it came about after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. That phrase, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, uh, that phrase, the servant of the Lord, is the way that Moses was introduced all the way back in chapter 1 and verse 1. And what we're seeing is God was with Joshua. Joshua lived faithfully. He wasn't perfect, but he trusted. He was strong and courageous. God was with him. He kept the law of the Lord, and he was the servant of the Lord, who God was with even unto his death. And I would love it if at the end of my life, um, looking back, if you could describe me with a phrase, the servant of the Lord, I think is a hard one to beat. And I think there's probably a good number of people in here who feel that way as well. Um, God has called us for a task. God has called us for different tasks. He's also called us to embody the life and the ministry of Jesus. One thing that I think is interesting is Joshua might have recognized he had some pretty big shoes to fill in continuing on the ministry of Moses. But as the church, one of the things that we are called to do are to be lights of the world as Jesus was the light of the world. We're called to continue on the very ministry of Jesus, and that's kind of a daunting task when you think about it. But God will be with you. Be strong and courageous. 
Keep the word of God in your heart and on your mind as you go throughout. Trust in the Lord, and we can pass from this life having been those who could truly be called the servant of the Lord. If we can help you uh, enter into that journey this morning. If there's anyone here who wants to become a servant of the Lord, if there's anyone here who wants to become a Christian here this morning, please let that be known. You can talk to some of our elders in the back. You can also talk to them about things you might need prayers on in your life. Or you can come and you can sit here on the front row. But if you have a need, please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.